Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. This week, we are back to the adventure series where we interview people who have tackled serious adventures, the type that make you want to hear their story. Who are they? How did they come to their adventure? What happened on their adventure? And what did they learn? Well, today we are talking to Annie Mac Williams, a triple crown hiker. Now, what does triple crown hiker mean? Annie Mac has through hiked all three of the longest trails across the US of A. She hiked the Appalachian Trail, all 2,165 miles of it in five months and 21 days. Think about that. She hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, all 2,650 miles of it in five months to the day. And she hiked the Continental Divide Trail, all 2,800 miles of it in five months. These hikes aren't the type where you hike for a bit and go home and then hike more the next week. These are trails that you carry everything you need on your back and you cover 20 to 25 miles a day in order to finish hiking the trail in just that five long months. So stay tuned for my interview with Annie and more of her story. Stories are our lives and language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. Annie, welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. Thank you. Let's start out with you introducing the main character in this story, which is you. (laughs) Who are you? What do you look like? What's your background? What makes you tick, girl? I grew up in the East Coast. I'm from Connecticut originally, and I liked playing outside, but I played a lot of sports. As an incoming freshman, figured out there was a degree called outdoor education and thought it was really cool. And the freshman orientation was a 10-day backpacking trip on the Appalachian Trail. And that was the first time I ever went backpacking. I was 19, and I didn't know what I was doing, but I really enjoyed it. And from that point on, I started playing in the mountains more. One summer, I asked my dad to drop me off in Maine and started hiking the Appalachian Trail. And kind of my passion for the outdoors just grew exponentially at that point. And so I moved west to Utah and I have been exploring out west and hiking the trails out here. And I just... I like walking. It's an accessible thing. Anyone can do it. And so it's taken me a lot of amazing places. So how old are you? I just turned 30. Okay. And you have a, a great big dog, right? I do. I have a new great big dog <laughs> that was my birthday present to myself when I turned 30 as a, a very monumental change of I need to start providing a roof and kibble for him and responsibility. <laughs> You're growing right up. (laughs) You live in Park City now, right? Yes, I do. I live in Park City, Utah. Okay, so your story made me think of one really quick that I'm just going to throw in here because it's super funny. But my first backpacking trip was also in college. And I remember like having all of my stuff laid out over the kitchen floor because I'm trying to, you know, you've got all this stuff that you need to take with you in the backpack, right? And I'm trying to figure out 
um, how to make it all fit. And it's this external frame pack. And I seriously, by the time I was done, I was so proud of myself. I thought, this is <laughs> awesome. Everybody is going to think I'm so cool because look at all of this stuff that I totally have fit in. And and yet I'm so compact and I was so proud of myself. I kid you not, I had like pasta pans and frying pans like tied on the outside. <laughs> oh my God. Those are my favorite backpacks to see. And as a game, we try and unclip things from those backpacks and see how many things you can take off before someone notices. Notices. Oh my gosh. When I got there and my pack was like five times bigger than everybody else's. And I was the last person into camp. We were um, hiking in, I think, City of the Rocks in Idaho or something is where we were going into. And I remember, because it, it's just the opposite. I think anytime that I really think I've got something under control or that I'm doing cool, I know it's going to be the opposite. And it was, it was so <laughs> embarrassing. I'd come in like two hours after everybody else dragging my pack behind me. Well, that's how you learn though, right? It's been an evolution as a backpacker for me. I look at what I first carried and what I carry now and some of the items are the same, but almost everything has evolved. My tent has evolved. My backpack has evolved. And now I carry one set pretty much for all my adventures and it changes during the winter, heavier sleeping bag, but I have that one core set of gear and I'm at the point where I even pack my backpack the exact same way. And so if something's not where it should be, it's gone, it's missing, it's forever, it's been left behind, it's not in there because it's got one spot, and one spot only. The number of miles that you trek and the way that it, it really literally, you're living out there. That's five months, day after day. Um, of course, everything's going to find a spot because this is life. You know, this is the big thing. T tell us about the evolution. You know, what does the trail look like when you're out there and how, how did you evolve as a hiker? What are some of your favorite stories? That's like a whole bunch of different questions. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Well, so I get asked a lot when people learn about these five-month hikes. I get asked a lot, how do you prepare for it? How do you carry everything? And honestly, you look at it like it's very short backpacking trips. And you kind of have to worry about it one day at a time or one chunk of walking till the next snack break. And you kind of have to break it down into small bits because it's a huge undertaking. And so... When I go backpacking, I think, okay, it's four days until my next food stops. So I'm going to worry about four days. And even in that, I'm going to worry about one day at a time because I don't know where I'm going to sleep at night. I'm going to sleep where there's a flat spot when I'm tired. And that could be 20 miles up the trail. It could be 12. It could be 32. And I don't know that until I start walking and I see the trail. And so there's this kind of release of control that's really nice where you learn to just be okay waking up, walking, eating, and repeating. And that's what you do day in and day out. And it's so simple that I now I get frustrated with grocery shopping and all the errands and the real life responsibilities of the world because the simplicity of walking is just relaxing to me. It's so nice. And to have everything I could ever need on my back means that no obstacle is going to be too challenging at that point. How many pairs of boots do you go through and do your feet get all bloody and blistered? And I mean, 25 miles a day, that's a lot. It is. I have been very lucky and I don't have foot problems for the most part. 
Um, I've had Achilles tendonitis and I've had to cut open a whole shoe, the back of a shoe and turn it into kind of a clog, a slipper um, in order to release pressure on my, um, the back of my heel. But for the most part, I'm lucky. I'll go through a pair of shoes every 500 miles is what I usually plan on. At that point, it's a treat to get another pair of, I use trail runners. And so a hundred dollars, a pair of shoes is worth it to me because my feet are so important to me out there. And so I'll get another pair and it's an exciting day when new shoes show up. Sometimes I'll treat myself to new socks as well. <laughs> the simple things. <laughs> it really does get simple when you're out there and everything that you have and have to worry about is with you. Is and you appreciate really small things at that point. You appreciate when you find an M&M in the bottom of your pack because you didn't know it was there and you're still going to eat it and you're really excited about it. And so little things that, gosh, you know, I overlook when I'm wandering around Park City, those same things are vivid on trail and I remember them. You know, I thought you strongly. were going to say when you find an M&M on the trail, you're excited. <laughs> oh. Picturing you picking it up. That is definitely true. I have picked up snacks from the trail and eaten them. And (laughs) on one of my trails on the CDT, um, I hiked with my partner and another friend of ours. And he used to leave treats in the middle of the trail for us, like a Jolly Rancher, so that when my partner and I walked up on it, it's very hard to share a Jolly Rancher. And so we would fight over who would get this Jolly Rancher that had been left in the middle of the trail. And they're hard to bite in half. And you're like, well, I'll suck on it first and then give it to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I notice when I'm, when you're camping and you're, you're in the back country and you're done cooking and you sort of wipe out your, you know, your pan or something. And I always marvel at myself because I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, man, I let a lot of things fly in the backcountry that I so would not at home. Like at home, it's everything sanitized and cleaned and soap and, and in the backcountry, it's like, yeah, most of the dirt's off that. It's okay. <laughs> but at the same time, I have a sink full of dishes right now and I never have that on trail. <laughs> so right? it's like, that's the trade. <laughs> so have you run into any wild animals or scary people or tell us some stories about being on the trail? Gosh, um, so I've run into bears. Um, typically you run into their bums as they're running away from you. They're more fearful of us than we are of them. Um, some of the other animals that you run into are the more domesticated ones that are used to people. So on the Appalachian Trail, there's porcupines that like the salty sweat on your body. And so they will nibble on your shoes or your handles of your trekking poles, your backpack straps. Um, the Grayson Highlands down in Virginia have mini ponies and they're kind of wild, kind of domesticated. They're taken care of. The vets go out and check on them. But the mini ponies live up on this big field and they love salty backpacks. And when I hiked the Appalachian Trail, my partner had a boxer, a dog. And so we hiked with a dog and we got up to the field and the dog didn't know what to think of these ponies. 
and we put down our backpacks and had the dog attached to the backpacks thinking he'd keep them safe from these ponies that wanted our salt and he didn't he was terrified of the ponies and the ponies were eating our backpack straps and our dog was just terrified stretched out as far as he could go on his leash looking at us like what are these things save me <laughs> and so then we had to save our backpacks from these ferocious ponies that wanted our salty backpacks i have so many stories that coincide with yours <laughs> I, I remember after a backpack trip and you set up our tent and you know I threw my sports bra out on top of my food bag or something because it was all sweaty right so just during the night and left it out there and when I woke up in the morning it was almost completely gone like I don't know what ate it but it, it was probably some kind of a pack rat or something but it was just filled with holes and I thought oh well, in a lot of places kind of important in a lot of places the mice and the pack rats are your biggest predator because they chew holes in your food bags and your backpacks and your clothing and they're everywhere. And so it's hard to, to battle mice versus, you know, a bear comes with a threat and is usually scared of you. And the mice are like, Oh no, we're not scared of you. <laughs> <laughs> so what about people? Do you ever run into spooky people or people that make you nervous that you don't want to be out in the back country all alone with? You know, not as often. I think, so the Appalachian Trail gets a bad reputation for that because it's so close to roads and there's the shelters. And so there are some homeless people that I've crossed paths with that are living in the, the huts that are along the trail. And those, some of them, you know, they've been not aggressive, but they've not wanted to share their space either. Um, and so, and I don't either. So I move along. Um, more often than not, it's the hitchhiking that's the interaction with people that I think I am a little more cautious of. Um, on trail, you mean other people that want to spend their time outside. And those are good people. Those are my people. Those are the ones I like to meet and hang out with. And so if I have to hitchhike, I'll often try and find another hiker on the trail and ask them like, hey, you know, if you're day hiking, do you mind giving me a ride from the trailhead to town? Because I feel safer asking you than flagging down somebody just driving past. Sure, um, sure. So can you tell us why this all started? Why did you start hiking these huge behemoth trails? Um, <laughs> these are big trails. And I didn't mention this before, but um, tell us where they start. So the Pacific Crest Trail starts down, goes from Mexico all the way to Canada. So It does, yep. So the Pacific Crest Trail starts outside of San Diego. Um, at the the fence that's on the Mexican U.S. border, um, a little a little area called Campo, and from Campo it meanders north. It's definitely not a straight line. A straight line would be much faster, um, and it wanders north and it crosses into Canada. Um, and you do walk into Canada and then have to come back into the states. Um, the continental. Oh yeah, continental divide. Do that one. The continental divide trail also starts at the Mexican border. Um, there's less of a serious fence there. There was just a barbed wire fence. So we were able to climb through the fence and stand on Mexican soil and then turned around and walked into Canada as well. You can travel into Canada. Um, and then the Appalachian Trail, I hiked southbound. So I started in Maine on Katahdin and then turned around and hiked to Georgia. 
and finished New Year's Eve um, in Georgia, where there is a big New Year's Eve party. And we were celebrating the end of our through hike along with a bunch of other uh, champagne drinking and camping people. I don't think any of us stayed up till midnight, but we celebrated <laughs> at like 9 p.m. and went to bed. <laughs> Perfect. So what made you start this? So I, as a young adult, um, I liked the outdoors, but I also liked traveling. And so I decided to do a lot of international travel um, as a 19-year-old, 20-year-old. Um, I lived in South Africa. I wanted to learn how to surf, so I found a job as a surf instructor and moved there at 19. Um, and then traveled through South America, um, back and forth to Europe a few times, Central America. And I love traveling. I did it all solo. Um, I really enjoyed meeting people. When you travel solo, you have to meet people. You, otherwise, you live in a bubble, and that's not fun for three months. And so I enjoyed that traveler's mentality that forced me to approach people in hostels and say yes to things that I wasn't sure about. Um, but then I came back home to the States and had a good friend of mine kind of call me out on it and say like, you know, you're really passionate about international travel, but you haven't seen a lot of the U.S. yet. And he was right. I hadn't been to the West. I hadn't seen national parks yet. Connecticut has rolling hills and some farmland and, you know, some parks that I grew up playing in, but it didn't have Yosemites and Yellowstones and Grand Canyons. And so my friend Greg kind of kept pushing me on this domestic travel thing. And so one summer, I ended up being free and wasn't working for a summer camp and thought, okay, well, you know, I'll see my own country. And so I decided to start walking. And I, in about three weeks time, planned to hike the Appalachian Trail and asked my dad to drive me to Maine. And he actually hiked Katahdin with me. And then he asked me, okay, so are you walking back to Connecticut? I was like, yeah. But I think I'm going to keep going. I don't know. I'm going to go as long as this is fun. And it's been fun for years. And so <laughs> <laughs> I keep walking. I keep finding new places to walk. <laughs> What's been your biggest obstacle? I think the biggest obstacle is just finding the time. I've been lucky because I've worked seasonal jobs and I've made it a priority to, to not work so that I can play. But that means, you know, I don't have a stable home. I'm not paying a mortgage because that would be hard to pay while being homeless for five months, six months at a time. And so I've kind of traded some of the stability for that freedom of traveling for months and months at a time, um, which is why this dog is a new development because he's not going to be doing through hikes with me. I can barely get him to do about three miles, um, ah. but we do short backpacking trips. What are you going to do with him then when you decide to go do a larger trip? Yeah, hope someone loves him as much as me. <laughs> um, my parents would take him if I wanted to drop him off for a little while. Um, he's kind of allowed me to hike the things I've looked over in the past, though. And that's really been fun is we've done short trips, short backpacking trips where we go for three to five miles and go slowly and take naps behind like next to lakes and things that when you're hiking 30 miles a day you look at that lake and think that's nice but I don't really have time to go lay out and read a book next to it right now I've got to keep going or I'm gonna starve 
So what's the meaning for you behind all of this? Why do you do it? I think that it's a really good way to live. It's, it's outside. I feel good. I can kind of forget about the less important challenges of life and worry about the things that matter, that I'm feeding myself, I'm moving my body, I'm enjoying the places that my legs can take me. It's not an expensive hobby. Anyone's capable of doing it. Everyone's been a professional walker from about the age of a year and a half. Maybe not a year. Some people are still a little wobbly at a year old, but by two for sure. And so walking is something that has brought me to very amazing places. And so I enjoy doing it. You are a a soul that connects with nature, that finds solace and joy and peace and invigoration from being in nature. And there are people who truly appreciate and connect in that space better than others. And you're one of those. So, you know, you, I suspect you keep gravitating there because that's home, you know? Well, and I see that as my challenge too, to get other people to enjoy it. Because I think with that becomes a need for conservation and people care more about these open spaces and they, they get involved. And so I want people to see that I enjoy it so much that you should enjoy this too. Like, let's go for a short walk. Like we can go at the pace of my dog. We don't have to go fast and we can go find waterfalls and go camping. And so when people want, you know, to ask for advice, I can talk to a wall about hiking. I mean, I just, I want to share my passion so that other people discover it too. And I think there's a lot of people that would enjoy backpacking, would enjoy hiking, would enjoy walking outside. And so making it accessible. What's been the hardest part of it though, for you doing these long, prolonged trails? We haven't talked about this much, but maybe what the listeners haven't stopped to think about is that we're talking blood, sweat, and tears here. We're talking, there's pain, there's injury, there is the the mental game of mile after mile after mile, day after day after day. There's the time being alone. There's the fear that pops up in the middle of the night. There's There's all of these aspects of literally living outside on your own. And of course you meet people, but you are burning so many calories, you know, the details of what do you eat and how, you know, I mean, there are real, real challenges that go along with it also. So what are those, what are those major challenges? Um, I think for everyone, it's a little different. Um, There's definitely been tears on every single trail for me, those breakdown moments. Um, I tend to hit a wall when I am cold and tired and hungry. And so I have tried to learn to avoid that scenario. And so carrying the right gear has helped and making myself comfortable. I don't want to go outside to challenge and push myself and be uncomfortable at the same time because then I'm not going to love it. Then it's going to be a challenge instead of just my passion. And I think some people look at backpacking as like, this is going to be very hard and this isn't going to be that much fun. And for me, I want to flip that. I want this to only be fun mm-hmm. and I want to eat good food and go cool places and make it my favorite thing to do. What do you eat? When I'm backpacking and I'm doing like longer hauls, um, 
I eat everything from pork rinds to sticks of butter and (laughs) (laughs) but it's hard to eat a lot of calories. Um, if I'm doing shorter trips, I bring the best food I can. I bring brie and I bring candied bacon and fruit and, um, like the snacks that I eat at home because to me going outside is still home. And so there's no reason for me to eat freeze dried chicken that I don't really like just because (laughs) I'm backpacking. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So parting advice as we close up here, if you, um, either life advice or advice, if they, if any of the listeners want to hike one or all of these trails, what advice do you have to give? I think that look at it in the small picture, do it one day at a time, take it. If you're not sure if a through hike is the right thing for you, go out for one night, go out for a week, find the things that is the right comfort zone that you enjoy doing it. And that'll evolve over time. And so if you only like car camping, start with car camping, start spending your nights outside, sleep in a tent next to your car where you feel safe. And then maybe in a little bit of time, then you start walking away from the car. And maybe you read a magazine article about the John Muir Trail, which is an amazing 200 mile trail. And maybe that is the trail that you figure out, I can find the time and that type of commitment is something that works for me. Or maybe you decide to hike 3000 miles, but don't worry about the big picture. Just worry about doing it in a small chunk. I think that's good life advice too. (laughs) (laughs) I think people, a lot of times they think people panic when they realize they've, you know, signed up for something big and you have to just look at it in small pieces that you can worry about today. And today I need to move, I need to eat and I need, you know, to be safe. And those are, those are manageable things to do one day at a time. That is great advice to leave on, Annie. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. As Annie and I continued to talk, she told me about rattlesnakes the size of her arm and heat, 104 degrees. She told me about river crossings in the Sierras where the water and the runoff was so fast and so deep that... People had been swept down and killed and how it terrified her to go across these rivers. She she also told me about listening to podcasts along the trail and the many things that she learned and enjoyed by listening to a variety of podcasts as as she traveled. But the main thing that really stands out through all of this is the take it one day at a time. The reason this stands out to me is the other day I was feeling overwhelmed with a situation, overthinking it, looking at a big picture and just wanting to give up, just thinking, oh my gosh, (laughs) I've done everything I can do. I can see how this is going to turn out. Um, I'm just going to give up now. And, And really, you know, I was a week into the situation is all, and I just had this insight that said stay in the present moment stay in the present moment and deal in kindness remembering those two things and that's what i heard annie say was stay in the present moment because big things whether they are long long hiking trails 
or relationships that you want to have a future or career moves or clients that you want to work with. These type of things are dealt with on a day-to-day basis. And we can do things one day at a time. We can be there. We can be present. We can deal with almost anything in the moment. So thanks for listening today. Please pass this link for the podcast to a friend, associate on your social media. Do something awesome today and share the love. If you want to leave a comment or check out the Love Your Story t-shirts, head to www.loveyourstorypodcast.com. And we also have all the episodes, workshops, etc., on the website. Love it if you would take five minutes and leave me a review on iTunes. And thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week for another great adventure story. <laughs>